Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets, Meets World House. House. Take a listen. Are there any moments or spots on any of the sets we worked on over the seven years that you guys felt more at home that were like your little spots on the set you like to hang out? I'm afraid it was the sink. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yeah. You had to act <laughs> by the sink a lot. a lot. Yeah. I was behind the counter. Yeah. Right. Doing business constantly. Uh-huh. Mom stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> Disciplining you Amazing. in some way. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. The volume. In the NBA, the game can change in an instant, but no matter how the action unfolds, DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting five bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant up. They even have great same-game parlays. So many different ways to bet the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball, only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope all of you guys had an incredible weekend. We have a jam-packed day for the show. Later on today, we got a video coming out with our power rankings as well as a mailbag. We do power rankings every Monday, as you guys know. But for this video, we're going to be bringing on my friend Jovan Buha from The Athletic, who was with the Lakers in Las Vegas as they hoist the first ever NBA in-season tournament trophy he's got a lot of uh, of uh information from boots on the ground that he's going to give us and we have a lot of interesting basketball to dive into as well and that's where i want to start Jovan. so obviously there's a trophy waiting here but there's another trophy coming in june and what i liked about this in-season tur- uh, tournament was it was kind of like a miniature less important version of the playoffs in the sense that the high stakes environment the intensity the good teams like four of the consensus contenders to start the season, the Suns, the Lakers, the Bucks, and the Celtics were in this single elimination field. All of that kind of, you know, showed us a little bit of like a playoff lens through everything so that we could kind of examine all of these teams a little bit. So my question for you is, what did we learn about the Lakers from winning the NBA's first in-season tournament? I think we learned that this group can win a championship and maybe... Learn is is the wrong term there. I would go with 
uh, confirmation that this group could win a championship because I think you and I both had them in our inner circle of contenders entering the season. Uh, but with that up and down start, uh, you know, we, we've talked about it several times on here. Uh, I, I think I don't want to say there was doubt, but I, I think there was a little concern with just, um, you know, I, I want to see them win in high state uh, in high stakes environments. I want to see them beat good teams. I want to see dominant performances from LeBron and AD. And we got all of that in the knockout stage. And Austin Reeves returned to form. Uh, Anthony Davis had one of the best games of his career in that championship game. LeBron had one of the most efficient games of his career uh, in that blowout against New Orleans. And then I think arguably the most impressive win of them all was the Phoenix one, considering uh, that's a team that they most likely will have to face at some point uh, in, in the Western Conference playoffs. And that's, you know, all three games have gone into crunch time. All three games have gone uh, really to single possession uh, basketball and Lakers have won all three of them. And I think their defense against Phoenix, like you, you've kind of seen the strengths of, of both of those teams and LA has come out on top uh, in all three matchups. So to me, I think, uh, again, I was already high on the Lakers and, and I think they've been playing better. They've won 12 of their last 16, if you include that championship game. Uh, but this to me was when the stakes are high and this team is playing for something, they can lock in. They, they have a level of focus, a level of engagement, a level of awareness that we hadn't seen necessarily consistently through the first 20 games or so. But with, with the money on the line, with, with the, the trophy on the line, um, they really stepped up. And of course, a lot of it was LeBron and AD. But I, again, I thought Austin Reeves looked really well. Uh, I thought the Wings played amazing defense. Darvin Ham deserves a lot of credit for his schemes and, and his game plan. Uh, so to me, this was just confirmation that the Lakers are in that inner circle and might even be a little bit higher than we had initially expected. Yeah, I love that. I love that part right there at the end because that was my big takeaway. I had the Lakers coming into the season as my fourth best championship contender behind Denver, Boston, and Milwaukee. And I'm going to put them above Milwaukee now. I think I think that uh, perimeter defense issue that Tyrese Halliburton just shined a gigantic spotlight on <laughs> was just a, a, a great example of like a glaring flaw that they need to deal with. You know, the the emergence of Cam Reddish and Max Christie as like not just capable point of attack weapons, but like good point of attack weapons has put them in a situation where even within the context of the regular season, they're more well-equipped for that specific pro problem, which really isn't even a problem now. Because now it's like when we talk about the Lakers' point of attack defense, it's like you're getting Cam off the jump with Torian guarding your second-best perimeter player, right? And then it's like, here comes Max and Vando, and and Max is going to take that, or Jared can take that uh, top-end assignment, and, and Max is going to be a, an excellent option for the second-best perimeter initiator in a bench group. And so like now the Lakers, I think we can say are legitimately good at the point of attack, which is kind of like a bizarre situation Crazy. to be in. Yeah. Under, uh, yeah. Considering where we were to start this season. And so I kind of move the the Lakers above the bucks into that tier. where like, just in terms of sheer firepower in uh, kind of uh, factoring in everything that all those teams can do on both ends of the floor. I still put Denver and Boston ahead of them. And as we're going to talk about later on in the show, I still think like this, the, the, the upgrade of that specific rotation position, they're getting to like asking yourself the fundamental question is Cam Reddish good enough to be the starting player on a team that can win a championship in a field this stacked with teams like Boston and Denver at the top. Those are other questions that the Lakers need to address, but I do think they've proven that they belong in this inner circle tier of contenders. And like specifically it's the latest example of the, of the, the simple basketball concept that has fueled Lakers optimism for three years, despite mediocre regular season results. And that is in a real basketball game, when the shit's on the line, if LeBron and Anthony Davis are on the floor and they're playing hard, it is like a huge pain in the ass to deal with because of everything that they can do as athletes on both ends of the floor. And that Indiana Pacers game was such a great example of that because like, you know, the, the Bucks had all sorts of bully ball options. They weren't able to inflict that on the Pacers. The Celtics had all sorts of size mismatches on the perimeter against various guys. They weren't able to inflict that. It was the Lakers 
that when the chips were down, were able to just pound the ball inside on the Pacers and just obliterate them on the offensive glass and make everything happen with their size. The uh, the other thing that I thought was clear from this tournament that stood out, and I wanted to hear your take on it. Uh, big shock. This has been the case for this entire era. But defense is the identity of this team that they need to lean into. And so I had a take that I was bouncing off of uh, Logan Swaim, our mutual friend, uh, head of content here at The Volume, about this defense versus the 2020 defense. Now, hear me out, because the 2020 Laker defense was incredible, um, certainly better at the center position in terms of what Dwight and JaVale brought to the table, and obviously better at the guard position defensively because of Caruso and Contavious Caldwell-Pope, two of the best guard defenders in the league. But that team did not have wing athleticism. Like Danny Green, I thought was slow that year. He was a good help defender, uh, d- did a, a decent job in some lock and trail assignments, but he was not the best perimeter defensive option. Kyle Kuzma was more like a Rui Hachimura type, kind of like a top heavy big forward that was good in help, good in rebounding, but not an excellent on ball weapon. They didn't have guys like Cam Reddish, 6'8, freak athlete, Jared Vanderbilt, 6'9, freak athlete that they could put at the point of attack. And like, I, I think it, I, I'm, I'm still on the fence about it. So I want to hear your take. But I think that that specific wing athleticism dynamic gives this Laker defense a, dy- a, a, a like kind of a punch that it didn't have in 2020 in a different way. And so I actually think it's pretty close to that level. Would you agree or do you still think there's a gap between the 2020 defense and this year? I think at their peaks, they're close. I, I still think there's a consistency gap there where uh, like that 2020 team was just dominant from the jump and uh, they had a clear identity and, you know, I, I think part of it was LeBron and AD coming together for the first time. And, uh, you know, several of those role players had either won championships or gotten close. And, uh, that you know, there, there was a focus there, uh, I think, from, I mean, what, they had like a 20 and three start or, or something like that uh, to the regular season. So I, I think for me, I, I totally agree with you. Like the the wing defense is the big thing. And um, really, like th- this is where Cam Reddish and Max Christie breaking out the way that they've broken out it has been such an X factor for this team because we were kind of penciling those guys in as like fringe rotation guys and cams become a starter. Max has played some crucial minutes in fourth quarters. Like I thought uh, it was really telling that Darwin went to him as often as he did uh, in that fourth quarter against Indiana, you know, before ultimately closing uh, with uh, cam Austin and, and Delo and uh, as the three perimeter guys, but like, Darvin has shown he trusts Max and those two guys taking the leaps that they've taken defensively and just in terms of their point of attack defense, their screen navigation. Uh, I think Cam, uh, you know, he's done the the Jose Alvarado, uh, you know, just he'll, he'll pretend like he's running back and then all of a sudden he, he's like a cat and he springs and, <laughs> you know, tips the ball or gets a steal. And like, it's just his ball pressure has been incredible. And that was, I think, a huge reason why the Lakers were able to limit Indiana to just 109 points uh, uh, in the championship game was because Cam Reddish was able to hound Tyrese Halberton in a way that Boston and Milwaukee just weren't able to do. So um, I would say the wing defense is better. I, I agree with you. I do think, though, the guard defense was better for the 2020 team. And obviously the interior defense, in my opinion, was better with you still had AD playing at Similar level. He might even be better now. I think it's close. You, you could probably make the case either way. But throwing in JaVale and Dwight, like that was a dominant, uh, really, really dominant interior defense. And th- they had a game against Detroit where uh, they had 20 blocks. And it was just like, <laughs> you could not score on that team inside. And like we've seen shades of that with you know, Jackson Hayes can block some shots from the weak side. And like Christian Wood has had some solid moments defensively. But for the most part, uh, as we saw the Lakers kind of shift more to a playoff rotation, Jackson was barely playing and Christian Wood was out of the rotation altogether. And that was my initial fear heading into the season was just when the games actually matter, I don't trust Jackson Hayes or Christian Wood in big moments. And I think Darvin has kind of confirmed that with phasing those guys out of the rotation for the most part. So I do think that at the point of point of attack, like they do have that perimeter defense with some of the wings, but I think some of the speedier guards, like De'Aaron Fox is a really tough matchup for them, for example. And of course he's a tough matchup for most of the league, but I think that 2020 team would match up better with him. And then we saw Jokic wasn't at the same level, obviously, uh, but we saw how Dwight matched up with 
with Jokic. We we saw you know AD and JaVale um, on the weak side and what they could kind of do with that strategy. So I, I think they were better at defending centers and they're better at defending point guards. Now two through four, I, I would probably lean this group. So it, it it's going to be interesting to see how they. I mean, right now they're they're uh, seventh in defense. You know, maybe they end up in the, in the top three, top one. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. But uh, I think overall, peak wise, they're similar. But I, I would still give the edge to twenty twenty overall, as well as with their consistency. That's about where I landed to from the standpoint of like the consistency. I think this team can reach the same ceiling as the twenty twenty Lakers. I just think the length and athleticism is different on this team on the wing in particular. Uh, but yeah, like that 2020 Laker team in a night out night night in night out way was just kicking everybody's ass. Now that Kings matchup in particular is one I would love to see again because the last time they played, they were still down a bunch of their wings, That's and true, yeah. the first time they played was right at the start of the season. And like one of the things that's been really interesting with the Kings is they are zero and five against New Orleans and Houston two teams that have excellent long athletic point of attack defenders and they held them below hundred points, three of those five games. And so I'd love to see a, a Lakers Kings rematch where it's actually Cam Reddish and Torian Prince. And then Max Christie and Jared Vanderbilt, where it's like 48 minutes of the Lakers ball pressure that we know they're capable of, of putting on them. But unfortunately they're not going to see the Kings for a few months. So I guess we'll have to wait to see that one. Um, the last note that I put, on what I learned from this tournament before we move on really quick, it's just that Austin Reeves is a dependable third star in big games. And like you and I were all over this throughout the season, this stupid narrative that started to form around like, Oh, like, you know, teams are game planning more for Austin. Now I'm like, I'm like, he's in the exact same slot that he was last year during the postseason. Like I literally didn't understand it. It's like, it made no sense the way he was discussed at the start of the year. He was so dependently, uh, dependably great, even in crunch time when he was playing poorly. And he was just awesome in this tournament. 22 points per game, 28 in the closeout game, 17 against the Pelicans. Who cares? They got their butts kicked. Like it just, it, it, I thought it was a really impressive showing from Austin Reeves. It's just the latest example of like, they don't need another ball handler. They need, if they were to make some sort of upgrade, something at the point of attack. But we have another guard. For the Lakers, that is going to be returning soon. Your colleague, Sham Sharania, reported today that he's going to be returning probably in about a week. My question for you is, Gabe Vincent's return, how will it affect the rotation? It's a great question. And I, I think it's some uh, something the Lakers are still figuring out right now. Uh, you know, I, I think there's what I think should happen and, and what some people think should happen and, and what probably will happen. Uh, because for me, I, I think they're probably should be a trickle-down effect uh, where you potentially reconsider the starting lineup now that you have Gabe Vincent available. Because if you went back to the Austin uh, D'Lo backcourt, at, you know, there's obviously some problems with that. Didn't work earlier in the season. But you don't have a backup guard who can handle the ball right now. And I think bringing in Gabe, while he's not necessarily a traditional point guard or primary ball handler, he can give you some of that. He had given them some of that in, in the first few games off the bench. So I, I would, I would like to see the Lakers revisit. You know, and we've talked about it potentially the Vando, Austin, D'Lo starting group. I think you know that group was so dominant in the regular season last season. Uh, I think they were effective in the playoffs until they ran into uh, the Denver Nuggets. And I, you know, I don't know if it's sustainable throughout the whole, you know postseason and and you, you probably have to reevaluate some things and of course we'll see what they do at the trade deadline but I would like to see them you know potentially go back to that group just because again Austin remains their third best player and I think by virtue of uh you know while he's still closing games more often than not uh, by virtue of bringing him off the bench there have been plenty of games where he's played fewer minutes than Delo just because of the way that Darvin likes to have the rotation and, and keeping the starters together for a certain amount uh, of time. So e even in certain games where Austin is closing over D'Lo, he's still playing fewer minutes just because of kind of the, the starter bench dynamic. So for me, I, I would like to see the Lakers go back to that. Um, now, what I think is going to happen is it's, pro it's probably going to cost Max Christie his spot in the rotation or at least reduced minutes just because Gabe Vincent is the sixth highest paid player on this team. He was the primary offseason addition in, in terms of free agency. And I just don't see a way he's not playing 16 to 20 minutes, if not a little bit more off the bench. But 
it, it just put it puts the Lakers in a little bit of a bind here because you kind of have the blueprint now of skill guard at, at the point with D'Lo or Austin, a bunch of wings, and then you have AD and LeBron as the centerpieces either together or you know one of them's on the bench and you're you're going with multiple wings. You put Gabe Vincent in there. Now all of a sudden you have a lot more D'Lo and Gabe, Austin and Gabe, uh, and you know it, it's just it, it changes the dynamic. It changes the perimeter defense. You know potentially I think he regains his shooting, and, and that's something that helps. But um, and, and Gabe is a plus defender, but he's also six foot two, and that you know the difference between him at the point of attack versus Max Christie or Cam Reddish or, or Torian Prince, like those guys are just bigger and. That's been the Lakers' identity over these last few weeks as they've had success. So for me, I think there is a trickle-down effect of Max Christie probably plays either a lot less or or at least a little less. Torian Prince probably plays a little bit less. Camp, like the, Just th- those guys that are playing the two are probably going to play a little bit less just by virtue of more Gabe and Austin there. Uh, but I, I, I mean... I don't know what to do because the Lakers haven't really needed Gabe Vincent, right? Like I, I think that they've had this identity now and it, it's tough to tell a guy you're paying double digit millions. Like we're not going to play you or, or, you know, you're going to be a fringe guy, but um, I, I think he kind of has to earn that spot. So I'm interested to see how Darvin handles it because the, unless there's an, an injury within the next week, which, you know, knock on wood, uh, I, I don't see how he just comes into the rotation and plays like 20 minutes without it really affecting their perimeter defense and some of these wings that we've been talking about uh, having so much success recently. Yeah, it, it, like Gabe can guard at the point of attack. He's a good ball pressure player, uh, can get up underneath players. Got got like a little bit, like 70% of that Dennis Schroeder type of vibe. But like Max is just a better perimeter defender than him. Mm-hmm. And if we look at the 10-man rotation they used, now obviously I say 10-man rotation loosely because some of these guys barely played, but it was basically D'Lo and Austin at the point Cam as the starting two with Max as his uh, sub. Torian as the starting three with Vando as his sub. LeBron as the starting four with Rui as his sub. AD as the starting five with Jackson as his sub. So the simple answer here is Max is out of the rotation and Gabe takes a spot. Like that. that's what's most likely going to happen. And I think... I don't think it'll have any sort of meaningful of effect overall on 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 the way the team is performing just because Cam is still going to get significant rotation minutes. And I, I don't think it's going to make too much of a difference. But there's a simple question to be asked of like right now out of that role, what do you like Max actually has been an aggressive shooter. He's knocked down some big shots. He's had the ability to put the ball on the floor and attack to close out. So I think there's a little bit of a give and take there. To me, it just is a gigantic spotlight on the roster imbalances here. And what I mean by that is like, ideally, like you'd want that same mold you referenced, skill guard, point of attack defender, taller point of attack defender, LeBron or Rui, AD or Jackson, right? Like essentially that was where the turning point of the season was. Now we disagreed about Austin being essentially the the tool with which to make this happen, but the Lakers went from playing two skill guard lineups to one skill guard lineup in the season turned around. The defense in their last 15 games, they have the third best defense in the league and the second best record in the league. That's right around the time this change took place. It's been basically where things turned around for the Lakers. And so my thing would be, Rui Hachimura played nine minutes in the Pacers game because he's basically viewed now as the guy who plays when LeBron's off the floor, and that's it. Uh, he played 21 minutes each in the Suns and Pelicans game, so he's not even playing half the games. And Rui's good. Rui's really good. And you just don't have room for him, especially in a big winner-take-all game like that Pacers game. He plays nine minutes? So like that to me is like... When you look at this situation, you've got a surplus at a couple of key position groups. You've got three skill guards when you only need two. And like, really, you could imagine a bench lineup in the future that features Gabe at the one with Max and Vando. And a third. like if, if you brought in an upgraded two for Cam Reddish, Cam would be a really good option there in that bench group, right? And so like the way I look at it, to me, this is just a gigantic indicator of the fact that this team has to make a consolidation trade at some point. Because this is a team, like we said, that has a legitimate chance to win the championship, but is clearly a level below Boston and Denver, in my opinion. So how do you rectify that by making a better use of your resources? And so in my opinion, like 
it, it, Gabe is like the perfect example of a guy that could take D'Lo's spot in the rotation. If you can imagine if, if D'Lo got traded and Austin became the starter and Gabe actually basically took over Austin's role on this team as the guy off the bench. And then if you were to bring in an upgraded version of Cam for the that two spot, right, or somebody along those lines, then essentially now you're much more balanced and you don't have a guy in D'Lo that you're not going to ever play in crunch time. And and look, D'Lo, we've spoken very highly of him in his attitude and his professionalism this season, but once again, looked a little shaky in that Suns game. Looked a little shaky in that Pacers game. I know he's talking lots of shit to Bruce Brown, but I think he was like five for 16 from the field, you know? So like, it, it, it's one of those things where like, I, I think all signs are pointing in that direction. So I think that's the perfect segue into this. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Do you think the success of the defense in the in-season tournament will have any impact on the team's strategy at the t- a trade deadline? Uh, I think marginally. Like, I, I do... I think that... We've talked about the need for, you know, potentially a three and D upgrade and and what that would look like and uh, who they'd have to give up and and all that stuff. Uh, I think they're confident in Cam and and Torian and Max and Vando uh, of what those four can do on the wings when healthy. Uh, of course, there's the offensive end where uh, I think all four of those guys have some level of question marks uh, in terms of their shooting and. Uh, you know, Torian's been shooting the ball much better recently and I, I think played better, but overall just sort of like those four, I, I don't know if you want ideally any one of the four starting on a championship team. Like I, I think they're all probably better suited coming off the bench. Uh, although Vando, I think w- with his body of work, especially last season, like, you know, you can make the case he's at least a good regular season sort of placeholder starter. But I think the other three ideally probably want them coming off the bench um, with, with an ideal lineup. Uh, so I, I think it's going to come down to how they perform, honestly, like the, the next four to six weeks and, and what that looks like, because um, I, I don't think they're going to really change their strategy at the trade deadline, holding on to, well, we won the in-season tournament with these guys. So that means we're going to win in the playoffs. Like, I, I think it's going to be, how do we build off of this? What does it look like now that we're fully healthy? We add Gabe in, uh, how is he adjusting? Do we have the confidence? I, I think to your point, uh, you know, if you end up trading D'Lo plus something else, you can't go back to starting Austin uh, at the one. You can have Gabe as the backup, and then you you plug that new player or players you know, potentially into the starting lineup, and then somewhere you know off the bench, depending on what role they fill. Uh, but I think they're kind of in audition mode right now of of how does Gabe fit off the bench? Can he help run the offense? Like, what does it look like if he's the primary ball handler and D'Lo? And Austin are off the floor, and it's just maybe Gabe and LeBron uh, w- with a bunch of wings and Jackson. Uh, so I, I think right now they're they're kind of in 
that evaluation mode of, of trying to see what this roster actually looks like now that they're fully healthy, a lot has changed. I think that's really the interesting thing too with, with, with the Gabe situation is like him, co- he's coming back to a completely different team. Like Cam starting, Max is in the rotation, uh, you know, Vando's back. And it's just all of a sudden they have all this depth that they didn't have before. So uh, to me, uh, I, I think it, it's certainly a factor. I, I think it's, it's certainly a positive for them that they now all of a sudden have this kind of wing competition of, Who's going to shoot the best? Who's going to defend the best? Who's going to be the best on the boards? That's that's another area where I think potentially benching Max, they lose that. Like to me, he's a better rebounder than Torian Prince and Cam Reddish. Like that is one area I give Max the edge over those two guys. Um, you know, d- despite I think overall that them probably playing slightly better than him. Uh, I I think his rebounding has been an underrated part of his game. So like you lose a little bit of that. That's been something that the Lakers have actually excelled in over the last few weeks has been their defensive rebounding, no longer having some of those uh, second chance points woes that they had earlier in the season. So I think there's a lot of questions right now. We're not really going to have an answer until we see what this group looks like fully healthy. Uh, But I think their recent success with these wings is a factor for them, but I don't think it's going to necessarily be, we're just satisfied with, with Cam and Vando and Torian. I think they're still going to be aggressive trying to get that type of guy. Uh, but they, I think they they do have a, a level of if we stay put or, or or at least you know look to fill a different role, we're confident that these guys can rise to a certain level and play well in big games as they just did in the in season tournament. Yeah, it, that to me is the is is kind of where this gets into a complicated situation. It feels really weird talking about being aggressive as at the deadline when I'm talking about a team that I genuinely believe is the third best championship contender right now. Like, so like it, it feels, it it feels like a misplaced kind of look to the future. Right. But at the end of the day, I, I want to just put it this simply for Laker fans. If you end up in the Western conference finals against Denver, it's Jamal Murray, a hot, like literally one of the top 20 players in the league. It's KCP, one of the best starting role player guards in the league. It's Michael Porter Jr., one of the best starting role player wings in the league. It's Aaron Gordon, one of the best starting power forward players, role players in the league. And Nicole Jokic, the best player in the league. If you play Boston, it's Derek White, a above average NBA starter, a damn good player. It's Drew Holiday, an above average, like literally a fringe star. It's Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. It's going to be Kristaps Porzingis. Like the point is, is like when you're talking about the top levels, now. Now let me pretend the Lakers are going to start Cam Reddish. And Cam Reddish has been a really like a, a really a, a, a feel good story in a lot of ways because this is a, a guy who like legitimately has been very good this regular season. He's been a very good point of attack defender. And like this is three three NBA franchises wanted nothing to do with this guy. Like straight up wanted nothing to do with him. Let him go for nothing. And the Lakers have gotten real use and value out of him, revitalized his career. He will be on an NBA deal next year somewhere. And he's going to be a guy who's uh, viewed as like a a three and D wing base or a D and three wing, I should say. But like the reality is, is stack yourself against Denver and stack yourself against Boston and ask yourself if Cam and Torian is going to be a, a legitimate weak point in a series like that. And the answer, in my opinion, is a pretty clear yes. You're you're yep. going to be giving a significant advantage up in those situations at the highest levels. Again, to win four series, you're probably going to have to go through Denver. You're probably going to have to go through Boston or somebody who beat Boston or somebody who beat Denver. And so, again, like I just – I look at it when you have that problem – and then an internal problem, which is Rui literally is this incredible player that you can't play because LeBron's on your team and he plays the same position. And so he barely plays. And D'Angelo Russell, a guy who you cannot play alongside your other skill guard, Austin Reeves, at least not often. They did it a little get against Indy down the stretch. But like for the most part, he's a redundancy with a better version of him that's on the bench. And for the most part, he's going to be on the bench in in big moments. And so, like, to me, it's just a simple question of resource management and trying to give yourself the best chance to win, especially when you got a 39-year-old LeBron James. But I'll get off my soapbox now. So, before we get out of here, well, I guess we have two more things that I want to hit before we get out of here. Do you... Uh, let, let's actually start with the, the legacy talk. So, obviously, uh, we are not NBA, uh, ESPN first take here. We are not a debate show. Uh, but I am curious just to hear your personal experience as a basketball fan 
What does winning this tournament and winning this tournament MVP mean for you and your fan experience watching LeBron James? Ah, that's a good question. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get too hot takey with it, but I, I think it's just an incredible testament to how great he remains. And, uh, you know, I, I said my biggest takeaway from Las Vegas was the confirmation that the Lakers are in the inner circle of title contenders. If not, you know, I'm with you right now. I'd put them behind Denver and Boston at number three. Uh, but the biggest reason for that is because when LeBron James wants to be the best player on the floor, he is the best player on the floor. And the fact that we're still saying that in year 21 at, you know, he's what, uh, less than three weeks away from being uh, 39, turning 39, like that's just insane. And the way that he just eviscerated the New Orleans Pelicans with an assassin-like efficiency of just, I'm going to put this game away. I'm going to hit three straight threes. I'm going to be playing to the crowd, uh, The you know, getting the, the pro LA crowd into this as kind of turning it into a home court advantage. Like, it's just, it, it's incredible. And I think LeBron has mastered the game to the point where, like, we've seen it. Like, he'll have, you know, 16 points through the first three quarters, and then he'll have a big fourth quarter. And, you know, sometimes I feel like his, his numbers don't always reflect the impact he had over the full 48 minutes or however many, many uh, minutes he played. But, like, in a single elimination format, and we've seen it in crunch time, too. Like, you put LeBron in a situation where he's like, I have three to five minutes to manipulate this game, uh, extract all the juice offensively out of our, you know, our, our sets and run the LeBron AD pick and roll and find mismatches. And Hey, Austin's got a, you know, Austin's got it going, give the ball to Austin or, um, you know, they're overplaying this. Like let's, you know, Cam Reddish, you cut here or, or you spot up here. Like he just knows how to manipulate the game offensively. And then I think defensively uh, really has, has stepped up where uh, earlier in the season, there were times where I felt he was a little lackadaisical defensively to put it kindly and with his box outs and his rotations and just his general defensive effort. But I thought he was great in the tournament. And uh, a big part of the reason why the Lakers were able to stifle the Pacers the way that they did was not just Anthony Davis and his incredible defensive dominance and, and not just the point of attack defense with guys like Torian and Cam, but it was also LeBron playing that middle linebacker role and intercepting passes, deflecting passes, making really smart low man rotations. And like, there just aren't many guys who can do what he does on both ends of the floor when he's fully engaged. And we've seen now he can still get to that level when it really matters. So to me, this is just confirmation that LeBron can still be the best player on a championship team. And not only that, he can really be the best player on the floor against just about anyone. Like I, I think with the exception of maybe Jokic, that's the one guy who his peak is still higher than LeBron's. But otherwise... LeBron is as good as anyone when he's playing his best right now. And to say that in year 21, about to be age 39, like it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Last year, I thought was the first year in LeBron's career outside of maybe his rookie year where like you're like, okay, he's not in that top tier of superstars. Like he's probably in that tier right beneath that. And like even when he was healthier, but like before the foot injury to start the year, his scoring volume was there and he had his moments, but he just his jump shot wasn't consistent. He wasn't as impactful defense. It just wasn't as good last year, I thought. And so the obvious kind of response there is like, oh, LeBron's 38. Like he's starting to decline a little bit, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, no, he just comes back with a vengeance this year. And he's just like literally not just better than last year, but probably better than the year before as well. Like this is the best version of LeBron I've seen since when he won the the title in 2020. He's having the the a career year uh, from two-point range, a career year from three-point range. He's been incredible in crunch time. I thought this week was kind of a perfect encapsulation of like – uh, of of all the levels you need to hit in order to be like a top tier superstar, which is like uh, Tuesday against the Suns. It's like shootout duel in crunch time against Kevin freaking Durant. And he literally does better and wins <laughs> like, like and he was so incredible down the stretch of that game. And then it's Thursday and for the third time this season. And then we go to Thursday and it's like 
okay, well, can he like snatch a team's heart from the opening tip? And it's like, yeah, he could still do that. Like he like straight up made everybody on the Pelicans have no belief in their ability to win the game with uh, like early in the second quarter, which was crazy. And, and then we go to the Saturday game, which I thought was another interesting type of game where it's like literally Rick Carlisle's just having Aaron Neesmith play a pest all game long, just up underneath him the entire game, fouling the hell out of him, super physical everywhere. And he just does a bunch of little things and impacts the game and and, and leads them along the way. And also a lot of deferring and force feeding Anthony Davis, who kind of had the best advantages in that game. And so to me, that was like all of the little check boxes that you want to see from a top tier superstar. Now, as far as like an, an accomplishment here, it's really hard to like measure this to other championships simply from the standpoint that it's never happened before. But let's just lay it down as a simple matter of fact. It was a single elimination tournament that every team in the league had an opportunity to qualify for with a clear cash prize of $500,000 per player, which is a lot of freaking money, right? And a big old trophy at the end of it, right? And four of our top contenders were in there. Boston was in there. Milwaukee was in there. And Phoenix was in there. And the Lakers were in there. And the Lakers ended up comfortably winning. And LeBron was the best player in the tournament. He was. So, like, you guys tell me what you think that's worth. It's not worth the championship, that's for sure. But it's not worth nothing either. It's certainly it's certainly in my opinion an impressive accomplishment and to me like in terms of trying to quantify it really all it is to me is just the latest in a long line of examples of what makes LeBron a guy who's in the conversation for the greatest basketball player of all time, which is simply put he wanted to win the damn thing. And then when he did, he was able to, and and and, and that to me is just like a an encapsulation of the the freak competitor that Le- LeBron is. That's in my opinion one of the most under discussed elements of him in his career is that he is a freak competitor because people are so dissuaded by smiles instead of scowls that they can't like understand the difference between the two. But I I just as a LeBron fan, I I had a ton of fun watching him this week. It was just like another cool. LeBron moment for for lack of a of a better way of describing it. But before we get out of here, you had mentioned that you had some anecdotes that you wanted to share from your time at uh, on the ground at the tournament. So I wanted to give you the floor to share those stories for us. Yeah, well, I think along the lines of discussing LeBron and how much he cared about this, how much he gave to win this, and and you know just all the effort that. Um, I think, you know, kind of goes in behind the scenes, like being in the locker room after they won the championship. Uh, it was just, it was kind of this, you know, anytime there's a championship situation, it's surreal. And like the T-Mobile arena is not really designed like a traditional NBA arena. Like typically things are kind of on one side of the arena where you can go back and forth between the locker room or the press room or everything's within a pretty close walking distance. This was the exact opposite where, you know, you had the the media room on one side of the arena, you had the press conference room on the other side of the arena, then you had the Lakers locker room. So it was almost like a triangle of trying to go back and forth. And, um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm hobbled, I'm trying to get around, <laughs> uh, trying to be there for the press conferences. So it, it was a lot. But once I got to the Lakers locker room, and LeBron had already spoken. Um, he's just sitting there with his shirt off, just just in shorts, and he, he's got ice on his knees, and he's just kind of staring. And you could just tell, like, the guy was exhausted. And he even said it. He he was kind of like talking to himself a little bit, and he's just like, "Man, like, I'm so fucking tired. Like, this was so fucking tiring." <laughs> and it was just like. He's just sitting and you're just like, this is arguably the greatest player, second greatest player of all time who, you know, they invent this new tournament that he didn't have to care about and, you know, easily could have, they could have lost to Phoenix and had themselves a a nice few days off uh, before playing Dallas on Tuesday. And he was like, no, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to give it my all. And like, again, we're talking like trying on defense and, and doing things that is you know, sounds simple, but for a guy who has played more minutes than anyone in NBA history, like he really gave it his all in that game and, and really throughout the tournament. And I, I thought that was just like, you know, because at that point there was, there was sort of like a security line around LeBron, like he, he wasn't doing media. Uh, so you could kind of just focus on him. There was no one within a, a good five, six feet of him. And I was just watching him. 
Uh, and then I, I love the the little joke that he threw in. Um, he'll always kind of throw in some some subtle like MJ barbs. So when Austin was uh, doing his media for a second time in the locker room, uh, Le- LeBron just yells out, "Who had the better flu game, AR or MJ?" It's up for debate. And like, you can just tell, like, he, he was sitting on something like that. Um, so I, I thought, like, overall, uh, you know, he, he was in uh, you know, pretty positive spirits. But like, the there was also a business like element to the Lakers where, yeah, they celebrated that there was a champagne room. Like, you know, you're, you're going to do that after you win. They're excited. They won the cup. They, they got this money. But I thought LeBron and AD at the podium were very, it was very much like, Kobe like jobs not finished and uh for them it was just like yeah this was nice but it's early December we've got another six months until where we want to be like a lot has to happen for us to get back here in a championship setting um, another thing I, I thought w- was uh quite telling was I don't think people realize how close LeBron and AD actually are and of, of course you know they're both at clutch and they've been teammates now for five years but um after the podium, you know, they, they always typically go together post-game. They're kind of stepping to the side, and there's some NBA PR people there and, and some Lakers people there, and uh, so they're kind of waiting for the traffic to clear, and LeBron just leans in and tells him, I love you, bro. Like, I love you. And he had just been asked the question about what AD has meant to his career of, you know, he's now played with AD longer than Dwayne Wade, longer than Kyrie, longer than Kevin Love, longer than Chris Bosh. This is his longest tenured superstar teammate. And he said, like, it's meant everything. Like, it's it's been nice to have an alpha male who can take over games and, like, help me at this point in my career, like, not have to do everything and and really kind of be my equal. And, you know, for I think just that bond that they have uh, and just the way that those two guys mesh, like, I, I think... For a duo that's only won one championship, like they have to be in that conversation for greatest duos ever that have only won one championship. Like it's getting to that point now where like they are such a special duo in the way that they complement each other and just give your team, you know, in this case the Lakers, and a, a clear physical advantage against basically anybody. Where like when when LeBron and AD are healthy. They're going to play smash mouth basketball. They're going to live in the paint. They're going to live at the free throw line. And defensively, they're going to be physically imposing. And they're going to play a certain style. So to me, I think it was just a culmination of, of sort of the last five years of LeBron and AD, what their relationship means to each other and, and sort of uh, just them showing each other once again, like when we really lock in, we can win. We can win the, you know, the title in 2020. We can win the end season tournament. And we're going to try and win the 2024 title as well. Yeah, it, it, those guys have been through some battles, man. And uh, uh, a lot of really big moments. It's funny because like, like LeBron saying he's tired in the locker room is not a surprise to me because, man, is that pay- that Pacers team just looks like a royal pain in it's the crazy. ass. To play against. <laughs> like, like, oh, good God. It's like, it's like you can't even turn your back for a second before like TJ McConnell's coming flying in for a steal. They like the way they run on make made baskets. But like the funny thing is, is dealing with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the other end is a different kind of pain in the ass uh, for, for, for teams to deal with. And I think that's been a big part of their kind of like uh, identity in this era is like, Probably the most physically imposing one-two punch that that has been in the NBA in, in recent history. I think uh, <clears throat> I thought it was really good for the league the way that LeBron went in and popped the champagne and had a little bit of fun because he's like one of a few guys who could do that without looking corny because he's LeBron, because he has four Larry O'Briens. And to put it simply, in my opinion, the best case scenario for the league long term is that guys really want to win this tournament every year. Ideally, you'd have, you know, your big playoffs and then you'd have your small playoffs. And every year there'd be these two kind of like, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of like focal points where everybody kind of coalesces around these as 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 kind of iconic NBA moments. And like, you know, what helps is if the second or first best player of all time runs in there and starts popping bottles and really, really wants to win the damn thing. And I, I thought that was Really, really cool for the league. So before we get out of here, Jovan, you want to just shout out, uh, uh, tell us where we can find some of the stuff you've been working on lately? Yeah, you can find me uh, on all social platforms at Jovan Buha, J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. 
And you can read my work at The Athletic. Uh, recently just wrote about Anthony Davis's dominant performance. We didn't really get into it, but like one of the, the games, in my opinion, of his career, uh, possibly his best game as a Laker. Um, I, I do think given Indiana's weaknesses in terms of just uh, like once they got Miles Turner in foul trouble, they basically had no one that could protect the rim or provide any deterrence in the paint. Um, like, you know, m- maybe not as impressive as some of the, the games in the, the 2020 run, but to me, just, AD, like this is peak AD and and sometimes people need to be reminded of it. And I know that we see it. We, we see the nuances within his game when, when we watch the Lakers, but a lot of people still, you know, every game, every, really every quarter is a uh, reassessment of Anthony Davis's legacy of, of his standing in the league. And, you know, he, he's really become kind of the, the superstar punching bag for a lot of people uh, of just, you know, his best games are held against him for whatever reason of just why can't you do this every night? And uh, I, I don't think, you know, there are plenty of stars who have their own inconsistencies or weaknesses or shortcomings that don't get held to that standard of this is your best game ever. Do this every single night. Uh, so for, for me, uh, I wrote about that and just the reminder that AD is a special player and, you know, maybe he, he's not as consistent offensively as people want. He doesn't have the big 40-20 game uh, every other game, but he still is one locked in uh, really as great as anybody. And there's, I don't know who else on, on planet Earth can do the things that he does defensively and then go out and score 40 points as well. It's just, it, it's a really short list if there's anyone else at all. So I uh, wrote about that and you can check that out on The Athletic. Yeah, we, we, we've uh, wrongfully did not draw enough attention to the 40-20 game from Anthony Davis against the Pacers. It, it truly was one of the more dominant individual performances, especially given the stakes uh, that we've seen. All right, guys, that is all we have for this part of today. I will see you guys later on this afternoon for our Power Rankings video on a mailbag. You guys heard from Jovan where you can find his stuff. As always, we appreciate you guys, and we'll see you next time. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com dot com slash compatibility.